All right, welcome to another edition of the Adhocracy Podcast. Today I sat down with Mr. Eric Bowers, who's a commercial airline pilot, was uh, in the Air Force, and the, the two of us went to Montana State together in the Air Force ROTC program. Great guy, had a lot of fun talking, and got into, got, got into this new issue with the CDC saying we don't have to wear masks if we're vaccinated. It was a great discussion, um, and I hope you enjoy Boom, we're live. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Eric Bowers, for joining. Uh, first for me. This will be fun. Let's yeah. do it. <laughs> so, um, you were just in Montana at your property. How was that? Yes, yes, we were. So, we we did a quick blitz, just threw the kids in the truck and um, drove out to Montana. It's about a nine and a half hour drive, but with the dog and a cat and two kids, it ends up being about an 11 hour drive <laughs> in Seattle traffic. But yeah, yeah, we went out there and uh, hung out with hung out with uh, both of our families. They both live there now in Kalispell and we subsequently have 20 acres there and got out to, you know, kind of see where we might want to build a home someday. And um, it's refreshing for us because being, being from a, a small town in Montana and growing up there for both Kate and I, um, you know, going going back there from a place like seattle is a breath of fresh air um in every sense of the word definitely um the wide open the wide open spaces the mountains and it brings back memories of of being a kid and growing up in a place that i i felt like was you know um it was very special and i've always thought the flathead valley was pretty special so it's it's even more special to us that we have a little piece of land out there to call our own so uh it was great to get out there and see it and take the kids and have them be a part of it too yeah so 20 acres. That's a, that's a pretty good, good amount of space. Uh, do you have, do you have like a couple spots you're thinking about building on or is it like you have the one spot picked out? Yeah. So we have, um, we have a main home site kind of in the stand of timber that's on the back of the property. It's very flat. Um, and there's a lot of hay, like it's, it was traditionally used as a hay field for the person who sold it to us. Hmm. Um, so, but there's a little standard timber in the back that we'll build on, uh, the forever house, but then closer to the front of the property, we're thinking about building like a little, you know, VRBO, like kind of cabin kind of deal. So supplemental income when we're retired or if, you know, when friends and family come, there's extra space there. Um, and it, you know, it's kind of a, a project to kind of put our own stamp on too. So, um, nothing big, uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but something we're, we're kind of excited about doing. So. Multiple projects, lots of yeah. ideas, lots of high in the sky, cloud, you know, up on the cloud stuff. But um, yeah, we, we got some ideas and there's a lot of space to move around. Nice. So would you would you build that smaller, smaller property like while you're building the main property just to, as like a temporary place or would they be two totally separate projects? I th you know, they'd probably be two totally separate projects. Um, the VRBO, it would kind of be dependent on, um, you know, time availability. Cause you know, if you do that yourself, it's kind of time consuming. So, um, that's the first part of it. The second part of it is that building material right now is insanely expensive <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. I mean, I, I went and looked at it today and lumber futures are up like 400%, which is just ridiculous. That's crazy. Um, yeah, it is. It's just, it's, it's bananas what's going on in the, in the economy right now. Um, but what, you know, once we have the time and a little bit of, you know, free equity, um, we'll probably get started on something. Kate definitely has ideas 
um, that are inspired by some of the other, you know, the places we've been like, so she had an aunt that was in Vermont, lived in Vermont for a long time. And so she kind of looks at the, um, you know, Instagram and, um, and has a lot of ideas that, that are coming from various sources there. So some interesting yet simple architecture, um, but, you know, a kind of a cool multi-use space um, that we'll, we'll put out there someday. How many horses are you going to have? Or is she going to have, I should say? <laughs> <laughs> well, my truck already has 500, so that's enough right there. <laughs> um, she, she has one horse right now. We'll probably have another one. Um, I would suspect for the kids someday. So it, like I say, 20 acres is a ton of space and it's a lot of grass. Yeah. Uh, once you see it, you're going, Holy smokes. Um, <laughs> what am I going to do? Yeah. Uh, I don't, if, if, even with a riding mower, it would take you, you know, two days to just mow it. So if something's out there eating the grass, then that helps you out a little bit, but I'd say probably two is the magic number. Nice. Nice. So, uh, I saw you shared an article about that ranch that had, uh, a river runs through it was just sold and the something arrow. Like I, I was curious about, like I read the article and it looked like you had some opinions about that. And I was, I was curious, like, and you kind of tied it into the wash, the Yellowstone club. I'm not even aware of what that is. I was curious what, what that all was about. So yeah, the, the Yellowstone Club is, um, it's adjacent to Big Sky, um, the, the ski resort um, south of Bozeman there. Mm-hmm. A very affluent place. Always has been a place where, you know, people are very well off go and they have second homes, uh, some of which I've been in over the years. And the Yellowstone Club is just the pinnacle of that. I, I worked in college landscaping and the Yellowstone Club has houses in there that are, you know, four or five even 20,000 square feet at times. Holy cow. Um, and I mean, just the, the level of, um, development there is just, it's, it's, it's unworldly. And the, the sad thing to me is that, and this is the same thing with that ranch we're talking about in that article. It is beautiful country. It, it, it is something that, that I feel like everyone who is from Montana should see at least once because the expanses, the mountainscapes, the sunrises and sunsets, man, I mean, it's, it's just one a once in a lifetime experience just to see you even, even once. And now um, this ranch we're talking about in this article um, that I, that I posted um, it's North of Bozeman and it's, I mean, it's enormous. Um, I think it's 80,000 acres or something like that. It, it's adjacent to Ted Turner's land, which is also rather expansive. Um, and it's been owned by the same family for three, maybe four generations now. And they may have even homesteaded on it. I don't know the history of it, but I always knew it as a CA ranch. I think it has a different, you know, a formal name. I, I didn't even know what it was, but I saw the picture of it and I knew immediately that it was the CA ranch. So hmm. I grew up, I grew up going hunting there with my dad. He did a bunch of work for the owners, the Anderson family. And they always kind of, you know, in, um, in return for his services, kind of let us go up there and go cow. Okay. Hunting. I like, I, I was wondering about that a little bit. Cause you talked about, about going out on the property and I was like, well, I was wondering if like part of the sale was also like taking some land that had previously been public land, but it's out. So, so you were able to just, just go out yeah, and so, kind of adventure out there. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's all been private land for as long as I can remember, as long as I've known about the place, but they have, I mean, they literally have entire herds of elk up there where the bulls are all six, seven point trophy bulls. 
And that's how they make a lot of their money is they have people that come in and, and pay for guided uh, hunting trips back there mm. um, in, in, the, in this backcountry. I mean, it's, it's so remote and so expansive. It's just, I mean, there's nothing out there but you and whatever animals are around you at that time. I mean, it's, it is a truly remote part of the state. Uh, it's kind of tucked back away from everything. And it's, I, I valued it even as a, like a 10 year old kid going there with my dad for probably the first or second time. And, you know, the, it was probably 20 below zero and we're putting chains on the truck, trying to drive around in the snow up there. <laughs> and I just remember it. Yeah, it was, it was insane. Um, the places we would go on top of this mountain, but I remember sitting there with this, you know, minus 40 windshield biting me in the face, but watching the sun come up over Hatfield mountain, which is on the Eastern part of the, um, um, the ranch there and just thinking, man, this is, this is cool. Like it's just, I, I'm the only one who can see this right now. Um, and, and now to think that the legacy of that ranch is being um, sacrificed for financial gain. And I, I can't fault the family right now because that's, I mean, $136 million is, is a King's ransom times a hundred. Yeah. Um, but the legacy of this place is now being subjected to, forces that would rather change it than keep it the same and that's kind of what bozeman at large has been in the last 20 years which is where i grew up and you know, both you and i went to school there so yeah um, it's it's the same kind of change it's just it's gentrification it's um it's an asymmetric change where a lot of people are being pushed out because these people that own this ranch have have been doing very hard work for like i say three maybe four generations and now that legacy is, is being um, pushed off for something that is, you know, in my opinion, a little bit superficial, um, developing the land for these huge McMansions, you know, that the, the, um, the Silicon Valley executives, um, it's just, it, it's sickening to me because it really is a special place. Um, and I would hope that, you know, the legacy of that would be preserved, but I just, I, I feel like that's just not what's going to happen. Um, and so that's kind of why I felt like I needed to say something publicly, um, sure. about how I, yeah. Yeah. It was an interesting article. And I mean, like, because I actually read it on Kate's page first and then I saw your post and yeah. like, when I read it, I was just like, when I, when I read that, all I thought was, Oh, somebody wants to pay a lot of money for what used to be a really popular movie. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, yeah. It, I mean, it's that's interesting to hear this. That's how I got it. Too, yeah. So, hmm. yeah, it's um, if you see the movie, you, you get a feel for what the place is like. I mean, that you know, he's fishing on the river and you and you, um, you get a you get a sense of being connected to the land a little bit in, in that, you know, Hollywood type of way. But I've been I've been on that on that ranch in places where um you know, it's, it's a different perspective, even just like being there and being in the moment, man. Um, in fact, there's one, there's one spot there called the Eagle's nest and it is, um, a tunnel that goes through the side of the mountain and it pops out on this, um, this railroad bridge that's suspended over this river, over the river that's in the movie, probably by about, I don't know, several hundred feet if not 500 or more and you look down and you're like wow that's crazy and then to think about you know the the railroads actually using that railroad grade when they went from bozeman to ringling way back in the day i mean this is a long time ago they haven't used that in quite a while but 
um, you, you see those kinds of places. And I think that is, that's actually been in a car commercial too. So it's, it's pretty well known at this point. I mean, the, the movie and then the commercials and then some of the other uses I'm sure that none of us know about, but um, yeah, I mean, if the wall street journal is reporting about it, then you know, it's a big deal and you know, 136 yeah. million. That's, that's going to catch someone's attention for sure. But I, I'm sure when they chop it up and they, you know, make these bigger lots that they're going to make all their money back. So oh, I'm sure. So um, is that like, I didn't see anything in that article talking about what they were going to do. I mean, you look at that land and you think, you know, you could definitely parcel this out into a lot of different, different pieces. Um, that being said, oh, like, yeah. th th there was like, it sounded like it was a lot more than just that main house. It sounded like it came with like a whole staff and horses and like, or, or cattle. It was cattle. It came with a bunch of cattle. Yeah, there's, so there's is there probably... Like, is there like a main area on there that's like more developed and then there's just a whole bunch of like backcountry basically? Yeah, so you, you drive in um, into this valley pretty much and um, you get past the town of Modlow, which is an old settlement, um, which I think was on the railroad too. Once you get past Modlow and you continue north, you kind of you, you go down into this valley, and there's you, you can see the barn, the ranch house, the main house. There's probably I don't know half a dozen or more uh, structures down in the valley. But then you go up um, where we went hunting all the time when I was a kid, up into the the west side of the property. And there's even like little cabins and stuff up there too. So oh, wow. there's yeah, it, it's it is really cool up in there. Um, they call it the Botham. It has a, they have special names for all these different places, but um, there's there's a lot to it, and it's not you know it's not just trees and mountains and stuff. There's there's all kinds of intricacies to it that makes it you know a pretty unique property. Interesting. So when you went back to your your property, did you just spend your time? Like, did you go back to Bozeman at all, or were you, I'm assuming you were just up just up at your place and with your parents maybe? Yeah. So, um, usually we would split up the trip. We would make it about a week and do half of it in Kalispell, half of it in Bozeman. Um, cause my, up until recently, my, my folks lived in Bozeman where I grew up and went to high Yeah. School. That's what I thought. Okay. Yeah. But they just sold their house and moved to Kalispell too. So now both sides of our families are in Kalispell. So the grandkids have, you know, one town to go to, which is kind of nice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we, we can kind of, and when we move there, it'll, you know, it'll be, um, you know, we got to divvy up the time between the two families equitably and, you know, make it meaningful, obviously, but um, it'll just make it that much easier to, you know, do family functions and dinners and holidays and stuff. There's, you don't have to get in the car and drive somewhere. Everyone is in the same place, which I always, I never even thought we were, we would do that. But then my parents all of a sudden said, we're moving to Kalispell. And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> Let's do that. Did, was their decision to move to Kalispell influenced by the fact you had some land there already? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, that definitely played a part of it, but my, my mom's dad, um, grandpa, he, he loved Glacier Park. That was his playground. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. and with good reason. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, man, it's probably one of my favorite places in the entire world I've ever been. Um, and to have that right out your, out your back door is amazing. But, um, grandpa always wanted to live in a flathead apparently. And so he, and he never realized that dream, but, um, I think maybe that influenced my mom too. We tend to be on my mom's side of the family. We're very sentimental about things. And I think that played a huge part in, you know, 
the the impetus to move up there. So now they're there, and uh, I, I think they're going to take full advantage of it. They're pretty excited to be there, and we're we're excited to have them there too. Yeah, well, it's a it's a beautiful area. You know, that's where those uh, those Spartans are in the general vicinity, anyways. Um, but uh, it's it's a beautiful beautiful area. I remember taking um, some trips up there in the summer as a kid. My grand uh, my grandparents used to live up. Uh, it wasn't in Kalispell. They always kind of lived outside of town. Um, and it's like, uh, I don't know if you know the place, many lakes. Um, there's a little development. Yeah. That's off- just, that's just South of where our property is. Yeah. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. Nice. nice. Yeah. yeah. It's a great little spot. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a really nice area. So, um, kind of switching subjects here. One of the big things like, um, Joanna's mom, uh, came out for Mother's Day over here, and uh, one oh, of the yeah. big things that she noticed was the big difference in how, like, masks and all that were handled for this whole COVID thing. What has what what's that been like? Because I know in Montana, like, because Montana right now they don't even have a mandate for masks right now, right? They already got rid of it. Correct. Governor Gianforte repealed the mask mandate about a month ago, I think. Um, But having seen, um, you know, I've gone through the airport a few times here in Seattle, and that's kind of, you know, that's a look into how, um, you know, mandated um, mask wearing is done. And it's all by the book, like everyone's wearing it. No Mm -hmm. questions asked. Then you go, then you go out in public places here and I, you see largely the same thing. Everyone is quote unquote in compliance. Um, but then you start getting into like, when you get, when you go east on I-90, you get into, you know, Eastern Washington, Idaho, and then Montana. And you kind of see this evolution where it's a little bit, a little bit of both. And then you get to Montana and it's almost like nobody wants to, nobody is. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, I, I kind of attribute that to the, the phenomenon that, you know, we're Americans and, and, you know, damn it, we're going to land on the moon. And also I don't have to wear a mask. You know, (laughs) it comes from, it comes from this this same place of I'm independent. Um, and I, I'm going to do it because I, I want, I, that's what I want to do. Um, and it's, I I feel like the mask thing has, has kind of forced a dichotomy, um, that is very reflective of the current flavor of politics. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, there's, there's no middle ground. Yeah. And it's, there's no middle ground. No one wants to make a compromise. No one wants to talk about it. No one wants to look at the data, look at the studies, compare studies. It's wear it or, you know, or else, or well, it's, don't. Or it's kind of something. turning into the, like, it's either science versus freedom. <laughs> it's like, that's not really helpful. Yeah, and it, <laughs> it's not. And you know, those things are not mutually exclusive. Um, you can talk about the science, but also talk about like, Hey, if I'm outside and, you know, I'm in a, a public place, but I'm still, you know, six feet away or even three feet away from somebody. Is that, is that okay? I, mm-hmm. And you know, the, sometimes the science gets into the point where um, people are saying, well, the science doesn't say anything about that specifically. And then my response to that is, well, why not? Because <laughs> this pandemic we've seen, we've seen so many times where, we start talking about um, the science, the science, you know, this is what the science says about the masks. I'm like, 
what does the science say about transmissibility of the virus? Do we hear anything about that last year? I felt like it was very little. It was social distancing, wear a mask, social distancing, wear a mask. That's all, that's all you heard about. And then vaccines kind of came along too. It's mm-hmm. like that movie being John Malkovich, like that one part where he's having a nightmare where everyone's walking around going, I haven't seen it. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Well, anyway, it's, I mean, I feel like that could have been the narrative, like social distancing, wear a mask, social distancing, wear a mask. And it's so much more nuanced than that. Um, Yeah. I think it's, 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 it's really tricky because I mean, especially like when, like what I don't like is when it gets to the point where like in, in, and, and I got this impression talking to, to Joanna's mom was that basically it was like, you're wearing a mask. Oh, you must be a liberal. You're not wearing a mask. Oh, you must be a conservative. And it was just like, yeah, how do, that that makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> That's it, again, that you're, you're right. It's it's just that dichotomy of, well, you you're doing this. So that means this. And yeah. It's it's an oversimplification. Like it's it's. Um, it's this subjective, um, you know, some people call it like virtue signaling or something like that. Mm-hmm. I, it's, it's garbage. It's just, you know, people, people are capable of free and independent thought. Um, and that includes, you know, who they vote for. Mm-hmm. Um, it includes who they don't vote for as well. So again, this dichotomy is just, it's, it's forcing us further and further and further apart. And I always come back to the idea in looking at masks and vaccines and then watching the news about the, the pandemic, I always kind of come back to the idea that for a country that is so diverse in experience, socioeconomics, uh, race, ethnicity, religion, why in the world is it that we have a two party system? Why is that? <laughs> why has that been allowed to be uh, pervasive throughout history? And I mean, I know the answer to that is power and money. Um, red versus but, blue, man. It's real easy. Yeah, real easy. And yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying. I agree. <laughs> it's, it just needs, you know, it needs to be reinvigorated. And I, I would cite, um, so many other places that I've been in particular Germany. I think they have something like 73 different political parties that are, you know, Yikes. they have specific, <laughs> yeah, it, it's a lot. I mean, you can have two or 73. Hmm, I don't know. It, it, one one could be better than the other, and then maybe not so much. But you know, you, you need to have you need to have options. Um, and again, I think that's an American, uh, a very American thing too, is having choices. We yeah, don't have I've, just one. I've I've really wanted to see more of a rise, and it's kind of started a bit of like a libertarian party, like a real actual party that actually you know it doesn't just come up with a third party candidate who steals the votes from the losing party because <laughs> that's all that it is right now yeah. but you know so, something like that some because i always think it's amazing you know you get two people arguing but then you put one more person into that you know regardless of if it's you know if it's the green party if it's the the libertarians whatever um as long as they're making reasonable statements <laughs> um the yeah. whole conversation changes and the amount of nuance that has to be brought into the conversation, you know, it goes way up, which the, the amount of lack of nuance right now in politics and this whole mask thing is, is stunning. I mean, it's, it, it's really frustrating because I mean, like, like personally, I think that masks help 
I don't think that they like I don't think that they 100% protect, but I think that they help. It's it's not that they're 100% effective. It's not that they're 0% effective. Should you wear them? Yeah, it's probably a good idea. Is it going to absolutely save you? No, but it's something that, you know, it's no. it's a preventative measure that, you know, it's it's one more thing that you can do that when you have a global pandemic, it is good to do. It is helpful. Um, whether or not it should be mandated, that's another question. But <laughs> Yeah, that's and I think, again, you know, if something is mandated, it comes back to um, that idea I was talking about, like, I'm going to do this because that's what I want to do. And I have the free, freedom of choice to do so. Um, it, you, you, you need to protect liberty, but you also need to protect the common good. And I feel like that, that idea is something that we have struggled with mightily as a society in this country for a while now that, you know, social media uh, has made information readily available there is probably not good information it's oh, yeah. not not conducive to um productive conversations and mirrors more rhetorical or not rhetorical rhetoric just you know th things things that are not um they're not being said to be positive or move things in a positive direction so yeah, i mean and it's hard when you give everybody a microphone and you know a, a lot of um it's it's pretty easy to latch on to the negative comments. I mean, like, uh, and, yes. and 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 then yes. those get focused on, and it that's not, you know, you end up with a very very negative system. Have, have you seen uh, the uh, p -p 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 not the social network the that that Netflix special where they were talking about um, how social media is basically like inflaming everything and it's it's um i'm not sure i've seen that yet i'll have to, social something I'll, I'll look it up here what the name of it is it's a really good um social it's 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 a really good uh documentary um about uh social come on here we go i'm stumbling through my words here real bad because i'm having to type and talk at the same time uh social dilemma that's the one. Uh, if you haven't, have you seen that? Okay. I haven't seen it, but it's popped up on my, you know, you should watch this. So maybe should. I should watch it. You should. It was, <laughs> it was stunning. Um, you know, and, and they do put a bit of drama in there. I think that they didn't need to do that. They tried to, you know, put some acting in there, but then they have like all the people from, uh, well, not all the people, a lot of, a lot of interviews they have, are from like the the person who invented the Facebook like button, and uh, how uh, the, how they what? tried how they tried to basically keep you hooked. And it's like, all right, if we if he, he responded to this well last time, so let's give him a little bit more of that, but not too much. So he's more interested. He doesn't leave, and then oh, this is about the time he would usually leave. Hit him with something that he really will latch on to, so we can keep him on for another five seconds, and like. Um, but it just like it, you know, the, the, the way that it polarizes things is, is really kind of scary. You know, I, now that you're describing it, I think I have seen this, um, and you, the act, some of the acting scenes, like they, they, they portray like three guys, like they're kind of the, the engine yeah. that, like, that has the logic in it that keeps the user hooked, like to yep, go, go, that's the one. Yeah. And, I, and I'm, I'm watching it and I'm going, yeah, 
this is bad. <laughs> and, <laughs> well, and and yet, it's like you, you like, and then like after you watch that, you're sitting there like I'm scrolling through the Facebook feed and I'm like, I can see it happening. And I yeah, feel myself yeah. and it's like, it's like, even like th- th- there are some things where it's like, if you, once you realize it, like once you have, you know, knowing is half the battle. It's like, once you know something, mm-hmm. it's like, you kind of see it and then you're able to, to be able to cut yourself off a little bit more. But there are plenty of times with, with that where it's just like, I know exactly what's going on here and I'm having a really hard time wanting to put this phone down because I know that there's about to be another video here that pops up that, you know, I love those cat videos or skateboarding videos or whatever it is, you know. Or holy crap, I do need a set of six belts right now. That may or may, <laughs> not, that may, or may not have worked on me, but you're right. It's the, And that is such an interesting phenomenon because the people that created the coding for, uh, for Facebook in particular and probably Instagram, I, w- I would think as well, they have harnessed the human psychology in such a way that, like you say, you know that it's happening. Uh, you know that it's probably not good, but, but it just it just continues. And uh, I mean, I deleted the app off my phone, but I, I still use it just in my browser occasionally. Um, I did the and same I, thing. I disabled the, <laughs> I disabled the alerts and stuff. I mean, at least Facebook's not going to steal my data. Okay, so at least not not as much of it. Um, but you know, the, the phenomenon is, is interesting because it's, it's something that I think almost every person that owns a personal, you know, cell phone, tablet, whatever, what have you, they all experience that. Some of them are aware of it, some are not. And I think, you know, you, like you say, if you're aware of it, but you know that it's not good, it's the next level to actually like make some positive change out of that to put it down requires a lot of introspection. And yeah. that is something that that in and of itself, introspection part of it is something that we as a country are not very good about. We cannot see past ourselves at all. Um, and, it, you know, if you can if you if you were able to do that when you're sitting there scrolling and you would think about how someone else might see that for a second, like, you know, what would great grandma think of me sitting sitting here on my phone all day? She probably oh, man, I've, I've 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 even thought just like. Like if my dad had a phone, what would my dad be doing with the phone? It's like, like what if, if you just handed handed this phone to my dad, like at this point in my life, or like when I was nine years old and my dad had a phone, what like what would he be doing with it? And it's like he'd probably still be out chopping wood, getting ready for the winter, you know. <laughs> yeah. So so it's like. You know, it's so it's it's that you know we've slowly it's slowly found its way into our lives as opposed to if you just hand it to someone that you know they'd be like okay yeah this is <laughs> yeah it's it has found its way into all the nooks and crannies and crevices of our lives and it's a way we exchange information it's a way that we we become aware of certain things um, which is really terrible I mean social media is not a good place to find news. Um, but yeah. it, you know, it's, it's just so pervasive and there's, there's no going back. And I feel like people just, you know, on an individual level need to need to make some change for themselves <laughs> to make it uh, a positive thing again. And that, that's going to take a lot. Yeah. I, uh, Facebook started to annoy me a lot a few years back. I want to say four or five years ago. And so, um, uh, because you know, there was some, 
I, I, there wasn't anything in particular going on politically at the time that I remember, but, um, but it was just like, there was some, like, it was like, I am getting so much politics in my feed. And it's like, I don't want politics in my feed. I want pictures of the, my friends and memes. That's all I want. Or maybe some sports, you know? <laughs> I, so I, went I totally through, agree with you. Yeah. I went through and I, I literally like, unfollow like i kept everyone as friends but i unfollowed basically everyone and then went back and was like okay i i you know i follow, follow this person this person you know family close friends people that are like you know next door neighbors or what this um and and that helped a lot um that helped a lot to to be able to um really cut back on that and not yeah making some conscious, of those conscious choices of who you know what you want to see makes the the platform usable for you mm -hmm. instead of you being usable for the platform which is exactly what the social dilemma yeah. is talking about yeah exactly. and it, you know i i think that the thing that we um on a lighthearted note the thing that we do not do enough of is laugh and so i would i would go through and i would see you know aussie man reviews which I think is absolutely hysterical. <laughs> uh, that, that's hilarious because I almost mentioned him when I was talking about scrolling through my YouTube feed. I love that guy. He's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> there's, you know, there's, there's one video of two corgis fighting and we, we had two corgis up until recently. And so that, that one resonated. I probably watched <laughs> it three times and thought it was hysterical. So, you know, finding things like that, that, that make social media more digestible, um, a, a way to like, you know, get some endorphins going. Um, mm -hmm. that would go a long way, even just if people did it once or twice a day. Well, and I, I mean, and, would... and like the, the, the whole like social media thing is set up where, you know, if, if, if all you search for is, you know, information about vaccines, you'll pretty quickly get routed to like anti-vax or, you know, it, 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 it polarizes yeah. pretty quick. But if all you search for is Corgi videos that's all that's going to show up in your feed too. So, I mean, it's, it's not like the system is inherently like trying to, trying to polarize people. It's just the way that it's, that it's set up that as soon as you touch one of those issues that's a, that has those, those extremes, it kind of, as soon as you tip your toe into one side or the other, it just like races you down this path. And then all of a sudden you're, you know, I don't know. You got your tinfoil hat on. So, <laughs> yeah, you, I mean, you, one minute you're cruising down the, you know, the information superhighway and then you take an off ramp and usually an off ramp is like, okay, surface street, something. No, you go down a rabbit hole immediately. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, you know, the, the code and the logic is hilarious because like you say, you just get saturated. And next thing you know, you look down, you're like, Oh, it's, you know, it's 1130 at night. I should probably go to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, that's depressing. <laughs> But yeah, it's and, and it's yeah. interesting how quickly it works, too, because like I, I've messed around with it, like on Facebook, I'll search for like one particular thing, like repeatedly, and it'll show up, but only for like, like maybe a day, and then it'll go right back to like the my normal or like something else that I search. So like it, it moves quick. It's not like. I don't know, it, it, it was moving a lot faster than I was expecting. I was expecting to like search for, yep. you know corgi videos for for you know a whole day and then i'd have like two or three days of corgi videos it was like no as soon as it would hit the next day it was like all that's gone it was like that's but it, 
You got to keep, they're, they're going to keep you moving through the department store. Like you see one thing over here and you see another thing, another thing over here and they can't be the yeah. same. They, they got to yeah. keep, they got to keep you interested. That's how they hook you. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty crazy, but, uh, something that's going to throw a lot of gasoline on all of this fire is this, this information that just came out from the CDC today about <laughs> masks. Cause I mean, it's like, Oh my, like I, I was thinking about this a bit before we, you know, sat down to, to have this chat and like, there's, there is so many issues with saying, you know, travel, travel restrictions aside, cause those are staying the same, but basically for everything else, if you've been vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask. Like, so you're just going to be yeah. putting your medical history out in public by whether or not you're wearing a mask. Like, so if everyone, if everyone is strictly adhering to that, that's what you're basically doing. So basically you have a mask on, you have not been vaccinated. So, you know, it's not like your full medical history, but it's, you know, it's a piece of personal information that doesn't necessarily need to be made public is now basically being, I mean, cause nobody wants to wear a mask. So, and I think that's, that's kind of why, you know, nobody wants to wear the mask and, yeah, if you're like, I'm not wearing a mask, I got vaccinated. Some people might actually be, you know, uh, pretty proud of that. Um, I think it's also, you know, it's also something that CDC is doing to incentivize people yes. to get vaccinated. Yes, that you're was like, my first hey, thought. You can, go, <laughs> you can go back to normal if you go get the jab in the arm. Yeah. Twice. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, and I'm, I'm sure it'll work on, on plenty of people. You know, I think the vaccine is, is, is a good thing overall. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've had one shot, even though I had COVID, um, which I think I got my first shot too close to COVID because that first shot <laughs> had me, uh, oh, no. had me feeling side effects for a couple of days. Um, it was, it was dumb. I was, uh, I'm not looking forward to the, to the second shot. I got Pfizer, so I'm, I'm hoping that it'll be less, less exciting. But, um, but like, like yeah. I, I don't know, there, there's just so many questions about this. Like, so what, what about the people who had COVID and don't need the vaccine? So do they, do they have and to wear again, a mask? Yes, that's a valid question. And again, I, I said it earlier, I think I did anyway. Where is the science? Where is the data? Where are the studies on that? What are the specifics? <laughs> I don't, and I don't want to hear it from the same people i i know that anthony fauci has kind of been the figurehead for this i don't want oh to man he's been him. all over the place so 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 like here here's a perfect example so he's saying now right i don't know did fauci say it is is he cdc i forget who so is he is, is he coming he's the head out of the nih he? okay this so the, the the cdc is the is the agency that just came out today and said if you're vaccinated you don't need a mask mm. Um, that's the CDC and I, I, um, Dr. Walensky, I think is the head of the CDC, whereas Dr. Fauci is the head of the NIH. They, they share information poorly in my opinion, <laughs> but they share information. Um, and you know, they're, they're, the messaging has kind of been consistent again, poorly consistent, but they, you know, they, they, they say the same kinds of things, but, um, you know, with the, with the, with what the CDC is doing, they're incentivizing vaccination, um, you know, trying to encourage things to go back to normal. But I'm going, have you, have you really looked at all of the data points to, you know, make sure that's safe or a good idea? Because, you know, last year, 
it was stay home, flatten the curve. Mm-hmm. And then it became, okay, uh, we got to get the numbers to this. And then, okay, now we got to get the numbers to this and we got to flatten the curve again. Like we always talked about the statistics and how that, that influenced everything. I, and we're talking about herd immunity, like 70% yeah. vaccination rate is kind of what they were saying for herd immunity. So if they're going to ditch the mask and you're looking at the data, have you reached a point in this country where there is enough people vaccinated um, to make herd immunity almost possible where you can ditch the masks? And I would say no. Yeah. That, that has not happened yet. And yet here we have the CDC kind of turning this thing on its head, going going against their previous philosophies. And I'm like, that that, that doesn't make sense to me. You're you're kind of doing a 180, almost a 180. Yeah. So and I see the logic, I see the logic, but it the logic doesn't make sense to me. It's not, yeah. it's not well, it's not fully cases. formed. It's because if you're saying you need to have 70%, you know, I, I know that a lot of people have been vaccinated, but Seventy percent. I I don't think we're there yet. I mean, I I don't know where we're at. I haven't been watching the numbers, yeah. uh, but I'm pretty sure we're not. But the 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 piece that really got me going on this was like, so we're supposed to be wearing masks to protect other people, right? That 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 was like you don't wear the mask for yourself because it really doesn't help you, but it does help other people if you happen to have COVID. You you spread it less. It's like okay. Uh, it's a great way to make people wear masks because now it's 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 this selfless thing that you're doing. Well, with this new guidance yes. from the CDC, yeah. who are they saying still needs to wear the masks? The unvaccinated people because they are still in danger. So it's like, wait a second. I yeah. thought you wore masks for other people, but now you're wearing masks for yourself. It's like this. This does not follow. <laughs> Yeah, like, it's, and what so are you doing? you're absolutely right. What what people if if we just did this tomorrow, that's the way things were in public. I mean, what what would you're literally turning the entire logic on its on its tail? Yeah. Um, it, what people see out in public would be not what what not what they're used to, and not what they're hearing via you know official channel messaging. And you're like, oh, well, that guy's you know he doesn't have a he's wearing a mask. He hasn't gotten his shot yet. So you, you, instead of being a mask shamer, it's vaccination shaming. Yes. Uh, and it, yes. It's, it's just, you know, it's going to happen. It's, it's probably already happening somewhere and it, it's too bad that it has to be that way because we should be able to get through an, a pandemic, you know, kind of with some unification. Um, but yeah, the, the, the official messaging has been inconsistent, uh, has generated this, again, this dichotomy and it's just, it's Which, not, I mean, to, to be fair, it's, it's a brand new virus that we don't understand. So I, you know, the, the guidance that is, is going to change and, but like doing like such complete one eighties and being like, no, 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 you don't need to wear a mask. You don't need to wear a mask. Wait, you need to wear two masks. Uh, you wear a mask for yourself. No, you wear a mask <laughs> for other. It's like, it's like, okay, I, I understand that you're working your way through this and every, you know, every little piece of information does change things around. And I mean, you do want to make things simple. You, you don't want to make it too complicated for people, but still it's, it, it, it has been all over the place and it's, it, it's, and it, it, it's I really think, frustrating. Yeah, it is frustrating. And I think the reason it's frustrating is because we, the American people who are again, very independent, culturally speaking, um, we need to know why. 
and we never knew that. Yeah. Why are we wearing a mask? Well, wear a mask. That was, you know, that was kind of how it started out. And, you know, there were some studies and some data that trickled out. Um, and, it, you know, you, you go down certain certain paths watching the, the pandemic unfold. Well, why was remdesivir approved to be a, you know, a therapeutic for, for COVID? Well, they had good data. Well, then why did the WHO come out and say that it doesn't work? It has high toxicity. Because <laughs> it's, it's not from it's China. A garbage, it's a garbage <laughs> drug. Yeah. So... And I'll say that about the the NIH, the CDC and the FDA. Um, They were really good about getting the vaccines out. The vaccine technology was absolutely amazing. Um, As far as therapeutics and treatments go, they failed F minus big time. (laughs) If you, if you follow the number of deaths and um, you know, that what was available, they basically, they basically gave people steroids, which are an immunosuppressant. So you're suppressing someone's immune system when they have a virus that we know nothing about inside them, when they should have been getting other drugs um, that re- restore the body's ability to fight infection, monoclonal antibodies. Regeneron had one, I think there's kind of specifically targeted the, um, the original COVID strain. Um, there's other small companies out there Cytodyne, who's actually a company that is in Washington state, they have a monoclonal antibody that, that um, masks a CCR5 receptor, which allows your body to fight the cytokine storm. It basically calms the immune system down and it reduces the viral load. Hmm. Um, there's another, there's another company, I think they're in Europe somewhere. Um, NeuroRx of Viptidil is theirs. I mean, I, I did a lot of reading. I got bored one day. I can tell. I started reading this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's just, it's fascinating to, to watch, you know, in, in Dr. Fauci's own words, he said, I am laser focused on a vaccine. Well, you should have been laser focused on saving people's lives. <laughs> um, and I know I, that's armchair quarterbacking from, you know, sure. me. Uh, I, I know nothing about medicine, but I know that, you know, you need to help people any way you can. Like that's part of the Hippocratic Oath and he's a doctor. So to me, that's a huge foul. And that, you know, all of that, that messaging, like we're laser focused on the vaccine, you know, wear a mask, social distance, it's all consistent, but it's consistently incomplete. It's not a comprehensive approach to a Mm. problem that is multifaceted. I'm using a lot of, you know, big military type jargon (laughs) expressions here, but that's, that's truly how I feel about it. It's, 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 it's a pandemic. You don't just go, well, we're going to do this and this is going to make it better. Well, yeah, it did. But you know, you, you built up this part of the castle, but this other part over here that was getting attacked burned down at the same time. It's so. like they built their castle on a swamp that fell down. So we built our castle on another swamp, the same swamp that one Some, burned over. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody was terrible at world of Warcraft apparently. Oh man. <laughs> So like I was thinking about a bet like how they could have done this better and if they had if the CDC had come out and so so they came out and said if you're vaccinated you don't have to wear a mask but everybody else does. I think what they should have said is nobody needs to wear a mask but we highly recommend that if you have not been vaccinated you you wear a mask because then it's it's optional it's not shaming people and it doesn't like pave the road for, you know, this like vaccine pass, green card, whatever BS system that people are cooking up 
all over the place so that you you know you can get into Disney World or or wherever. It's I don't know, like just just that one adding that one little piece of choice and basically saying you know we think that masks are not going to do as much good as they are doing harm right now, so we're just going to get rid of them. But instead of just targeting the vaccinated people, make it for everyone and say, hey, you know, if at this point we have enough vaccine supply out there that if you want a vaccine, you can be getting the vaccine. So it's really coming down to a choice and making it this way. It really is. It's, you know, your your point of, you know, anti-vax shaming or well, and and see, that's what I instantly jump to. And I hate that. It's like, you know, not vaccinated shaming. As opposed to letting people make the choice of, I have not received the vaccine. I might be at a slightly higher risk. So I'll wear a mask to help mitigate that risk. And that's my choice. Yes. But yeah. But going about it this other way, because I mean, like, like I've, I don't know. Like we, we all had shot or uh, I, I had my first shot, but like I also had COVID and so there's a part of me that's like, I don't really know if I need this shot. Like, I'll get it because I think that it's it's good overall. And that's what I've heard. I didn't do a lot of research into it, but like, I wasn't like clamoring to get it either. I mean, I waited until yeah. Boeing had it on site and I could literally walk five minutes down to a building, get get the poke, and then that was it. I didn't want to yeah. go wait in lines. I didn't want to go all do this stuff. I and that story that is very common. It. Yeah, that, I've heard a lot of people do the same thing. They wait for it to be available in their in their workplaces somewhere, uh, or somewhere that's down the street. It's a matter of logistics because you know we all went to we all went back to work a while ago yeah. uh, for the most part, and so um, the 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 choice that one person makes is based on convenience or it's based on daily life. It's based on work schedules. It's based on what the kids are doing at home. It's a choice. And, you know, the, the, the independence that we all like and enjoy uh, culturally here and the choice, you put those two things together, that's when people start re- responding positively. And I feel like, you're, you know, your, your comment about um, the mask, you know, what the CDC could have done said, hey, we recommend this, that then makes it a choice. And now someone can go, okay, yeah, I'll do that. I mean, you're, you're going to have, you know, backwoods you know like two dot montana that's gonna go now we're not wearing a mask we don't need to do that they never were they they never (laughs) were yeah they never were but you know um and and i've never been to two dot i'm sure there's lovely people there i don't know if you have anyone in the audience that would listen to this from two dot from two dot i'm so offended (laughs) (laughs) yeah but you know make a choice give give people some some latitude to explore their own um, their own opinions on things and educate themselves. Uh, that's a very American ideal too. And um, I, th- that's, you know, it's at least in Washington, I feel like it's been very patronizing. Um, oh yeah. Listening to some of the leadership go, well, you know, we're going to have to go back to phase two. Cause you know, there's just too many cases. Yeah. Like, I hate that. It's like, it's like, it's like they're taking, yeah. it's, a, it's like they're taking your freedom and they're like dangling it out there like as a carrot of like, if you're good, you can have your freedom back. And it's like, <laughs> dude, <laughs> no, one, no, nobody is going out and actively like licking doorknobs trying to get COVID. We're not trying to, you know, I don't know about you. increase the number of cases. 
<laughs> well, that's Darnold's brass. It probably tastes pretty good, right? Mm. <laughs> yeah. But, I, yeah, it's, just, it, it's, it's frustrating listening. Again, it's frustrating because the, the narratives you hear, like, well, this is a problem because people just aren't doing their part. Well, yeah, people are doing their part. And your comment about taking risk is something I feel like the, the civilian sector would benefit taking a master class from the military on like we take risks <laughs> yeah. all the time yeah. every time we go fly um we, we fill out an orm operational risk management you know it's, it's a matrix it scores it for you which is kind of artificial in some ways but sure you know you at least have something to go off of like i i am willing to take this amount of risk if it's more than this amount of risk then what's the benefit you know you, you have there's a cost benefit analysis mm-hmm. and you know it, listening to the state's press releases on, um, you know, well, today is a, today is an, a yellow day because we have this many kids. It's, it's kind of like going back to Homeland Security when Tom Daschle was like, today's a red day, orange, blue, no, it's green. You know, it's, it's, it's almost arbitrary. Um, and it's, it's very frustrating because I feel like you got to make progress in other ways that are not analytics based. And that kind of gets left out, but, um, Again, risk management is something that is is very nuanced, and I, I feel well, like and it's something. Be- risk management is something that that people. I mean, you don't realize how much risk you're taking every day. Like the amount of risk that you have that like you have from COVID is pretty small. The risk you have of getting in your car and driving down I five. That's a real you are risk. milliseconds from disaster, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> or sitting in traffic for yeah. two hours. But <laughs> yeah. but it's like there is so much there is so much of life that no matter what you're doing, there is inherently some risk in it, and it's like right now everyone is so incredibly focused on COVID, which you know th- there are certain. Um, uh, how, how do I say this? Like certain people within the society, you know, older people, people with those underlying conditions that, you know, COVID is very real. There's a very real threat to them. But I mean, so is the so is the flu. I mean, we weren't freaking out about the flu. Now, granted, COVID has some really weird transmission rates and, you know, it spreads a lot faster and, and it is different. But like it's very, there's, it's there's so very many pieces of our virulent. lives. Yeah, there's so many pieces of our lives. I mean, taking a drink of water goes down the wrong pipe, cough, cough, you you bend down, hit your head, then you're dead. And it's like, I mean, just taking a drink of water, I mean, it's there's pretty much risk to everything you do. But it's like we took this one risk, this this COVID risk, and at the beginning when it was an unknown Okay, I, I get that. It's an unknown. It looks like it's killing 10% of the population regardless. It's like, okay, that's serious. But once the larger numbers come in, that percent drops dramatically. It's like everyone's still treating it like it's that 10% risk, but it's really much lower. And it's like yeah. there, there's so many other aspects of your life where if you put the same like kind of analytics, you would just be like, hiding under your bed in bubble wrap the whole day because you don't know if like a solar wind is going to come blowing through and well i guess a solar solar (laughs) solar breeze doesn't do much to us our electronics are another story but you you see what i'm saying yeah i mean it's uh 
people react to it because they're afraid of it and their reaction is uh in many ways logical because what i mean if, if you don't know anything about it and you're afraid of it like any number of things can happen yeah um what is um the, the you know the second and third order effects of that you know we saw in the economy we saw you know major thoroughfares basically shut down the economy was in shambles and still kind of is in some ways it's getting better yeah but um you know everything out of fear for something you don't know anything about um and that's where again where was that effort from leadership at any organization government non-government or otherwise that was saying here's what we know here's what we don't know here's how we're working to understand it yeah um, i mean how often how often as a kid have you heard it's okay to say what you don't know but then when it comes to something really important like this you're you know fauci will not you know it's uh, like saying what you don't yeah. know would would have really helped and be like listen we, we just is- don't know and so this is why we're doing this when we figure it out we'll probably change course if he just that said is something my like big, that. Single, yes, you're <laughs> spot on. My single biggest problem with everyone who has come out being an expert on, you know, virology and epidemiology and, and COVID in particular, if you if you came out and said something like that, like we don't know that, that is interpreted as a sign of weakness. It is not. That yeah. means you that means that you are acknowledging reality. You are you're being honest. You are telling people. Yeah, you are. You're you're being, you know, you're a public servant. You're telling them what they need to hear, which is we don't know, but we're working on it. And so, you know, it's it's consistent across political parties uh, over time. Um, even people, you know, like the CDC and the NIH and the WHO, um, they won't come out and say we don't know, and that annoys me to no end because um, some of some of the people that I've I've worked by and for um, the people who would not come out and say, well, I don't know. Um, and when, when it was apparent, they didn't, I immediately <laughs> lost respect for them yeah. because I, I didn't, I didn't know either. I had no idea what the solution, the problem was completely or, or a solution. And yet I knew that they didn't know either. It was very obvious. So when you have, when you have the same negative messaging, like it's really bad, yeah, it's getting worse. Oh, it's terrible. Okay, why? Yeah. Um, we don't know. What do we do to make it better? Well, we don't know. All they could, they, they could have said that, you know, put it in, put a put it in a box and put a ribbon on it, obviously sure. to make it a little more palatable. But it never happened, and because people uh, in the higher levels of government here and in, in, in our leadership here in the United States definitely think that saying "I don't know" is a sign of weakness, and it's not. It's the exact opposite. Yeah, it's. It's something I run into a lot at, at Boeing where like, you know, you get a problem with how the aircraft's getting put together. There's some holes that are coming out funky and you'll get, you know, three people who will come up shouting, you know, you need to go do this. You need to change that. You need to go talk to design engineering and have them change this. And it's like, okay, well, what is the, what does the data say? Oh, uh, data says it's not a problem. Oh, well, are you sure the data says that? No. Okay. Well, let's go take a look. Let, let's let's talk about what we don't know. And it's 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 pretty incredible how 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 quickly can stuff fly around there. Um, so I see that a lot, and I know no exactly what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Thank you for that. I appreciate that. So, well but uh, 
But, yeah, but like, and then another another piece of this whole, like, if you haven't been vaccinated, uh, you have to keep wearing a mask. What about kids? And then, what, like, what about yeah. kids age? I, I forget what it is exactly who can take Pfizer now. I think it's like 15 to 15 to I forget the ages. I think 12, I heard 12 to 15 was the That's last right. cohort that they had data on. And now yeah. they're, they're, they're doing trials for like kids down to like six months. I, I know I heard it on the radio the other day, but they're exploring other, like they're kind of narrowly banding these cohorts together. So they have um, very concentrated specific data, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you would want that. So um, but I think 12 is the youngest age that is authorized to get it right now. Right. But then so like, so does that mean that the 12 to 15 year olds who this vaccine became available to them like two weeks ago? Now, if they're not vaccinated, they have to wear a mask. But, you know, kids below like and then what do you do for like up to 11 years old? You know, do they have to wear a mask? They, they they don't even have the option for a vaccine yet, unless they're doing some clinical trial. I mean, but it's yeah, the whole thing is just like this. the The way this thing came out, I mean, it, it's just like like on the surface, it's like yes, no more masks. But then, like, you start to kind of like dig into it a little, and it's like this is just like this is an opportunity <laughs> for all the Karens of the world to just erupt. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh it's, it's, you don't you don't have a mask yeah. on you don't have a mask on. Well, are are you vaccinated? Yes. Well, show d- d- can you show me? Uh, I don't feel I should have to do that. Well, uh, you 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 are saying you're vaccinated. I need to. See. It's like oh my goodness, there like the, the there are so many layers to that onion. It's it's crazy just to think about you know the the individual interactions that people might have. Um, based on that guidance alone. And then you start thinking about the kids that are actually in school. Like what do the schools do? Because some parents are obviously not going to want their kids to get it yet. And I totally understand that because it hasn't had full approval. It's still under emergency use authorization. Um, So how does the school reconcile that? Because things tend to be more like, because you're not only dealing with regulatory things, you're dealing with behavioral regulations too. Because mm-hmm. let's be honest, a bunch of, you know, a bunch of school age kids in one concentrated place is, you know, a controlled disaster. I think any, <laughs> teacher would probably, yeah. any teacher would probably tell you that on some level, especially on a, you know, a Thursday when there's still one more day to go in the week and they, you know, have only had one beer um, over dinner. <laughs> but uh, my sister's a teacher and she, you know, she's, she would probably scowl and be like, yeah, you're probably right a little bit. So anyway, um, yeah, that's that. That is an interesting thing to think about. How how do you reconcile all of that uh, amongst younger school age kids, and then how you factor in the parents, the schools themselves, the administrators. That that is that is going to be uh, something that municipalities and counties have to come to a consensus on, and that's not going to be easy either. Yeah, and like so, and leave, this. Leave the, to step up. Yeah, well, and but then it, like all of those like really interesting questions that you know, we're talking about here that don't have clear cut answers. I feel like so many of them could be solved if you just went with a masks are highly recommended instead of mandated. It would fix so many of those problems. Because I mean, yeah, I because I mean, even the difference, I mean, let, let, let's say, I mean, like, if there are people out there who weren't wearing masks, who, who like this decree comes out, like, 
there's probably already people out there who weren't wearing masks anyways. What are they going to do? They're going to keep not wearing masks. You say, right. if you're, if you feel you should have a mask on because you're not vaccinated, then you should wear a mask. The people who are wearing masks are probably going to continue wearing masks. So like the amount of difference between this kind of a decree, um, like is like, th there's going to be like a sliver of of people who are on one side or the other that will actually continue to wear masks because of this versus not. But overall, I mean, cause that it's just such a, it's such a weird thing to, to make a mandate like that, I think, because I don't know. It's, it's just, it, it's still inexact. It, you know, the, the efficacy has been debated a uh, hundred times. I mean, there's probably hearings in, you know, in the House and the Senate on this stuff. Um, you know, the efficacy of it. And then you balance like individual liberties and people with health problems and, um, you know, avail even at the beginning of the pandemic, availability of face masks. Like who, who wore a face mask before the pandemic started? Well, you know, doctors, healthcare workers, that kind of thing. And then the, the only, the only other time I've ever seen anyone wear a mask when they were sick, not in a medical setting was when you would see, um, someone of Asian descent yep. in the airport and they were sick. And like, and I think, um, I heard someone say, I don't know if this is true or not, but they, they wore it because it was, it was, you know, a way for them to, um, be respectful of other ones of someone else's space. Like, okay, I know that my bodily fluids are, are, are not going to be um, nice to you. So I'll, yeah. I will try to be, you know, cognizant of that by putting this mask on. Well, and that's their and, culture over there. I mean, that that's just like baked yeah, in. Yeah, like, it is. It and, is. And I think that that's probably a good thing, you know, that if you're wearing them, if, if you still want to go to work and you're not feeling that well, but you're not feeling so bad that you don't want to go to work, put a mask on and just be like, yeah, I'm not feeling that great. You know, it's not bad, but yeah. And just leave it at that. And if you, and so like that, that's one thing that I think that could, you know, this whole mask thing over this last year could be good that if we took that approach of, I'm feeling a little under the weather, but I still want to go to work. So I put a mask on, you know, masks would be a lot more normal, but because everything has been so mandated and there's no choice in this, nobody would know what to do with that with like, if the mask mandate completely disappeared, all the masks would disappear. But then you get those few people who are wearing it and everyone will just be like, what, 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 what are you, what are you doing? The mask mandate is over. It's like, oh, well I'm sick. So I decided to wear a yeah. mask and it's like, oh, so what you're trying to become a politician or something for, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's like, yeah, you, the, because they have not allowed thing. any choice up to this point when the choice or when it becomes a choice, it'll feel, it'll still feel very politicized. It will. And I wish it didn't have to be that way because again, you would get somewhere a lot faster if it wasn't politicized like that. Um, and I had a thought just now about that and it kind of escaped me, but you know, again, if you, if you keep saying the same thing, um, wear the mask, wear the mask, wear the mask, and then you do what the CDC said, and you're like, you don't have to wear it anymore if you're fully vaccinated, which I am. 
So I don't have to worry anymore, according to that guidance, Woo-hoo! which is great. I mean, it's like getting in your car and going, oh, no, I don't have a mask. And you walk yeah. into the gas station to get lunch or something. And they're like, oh, you don't have a mask. You got to leave. So you get rid of that annoyance. But then, you know, with you adopt the guidance and you and you turn it the other way now. And the psychology of how, how we've been doing things for 15 months has been so ingrained in us that you, it's going to take a long time to get away from that. And I, yeah. I was reading something uh, today. It, it, actually, it might have been, yeah, it was an article about what the CDC put out today. Um, but basically saying, you know, it's going to take us a while to get past this now. And, and my first thought was, well, what are you going to do, you know, from your leadership position to, you know, to make that happen? You, you have to somehow put guidance out there that, encourages people to to think again instead of just saying this is what cdc says i should just do this so you have to you have to change the psychology through encouragement uh through policy which is hard to do it's very very hard to do um but that's what you've got to do if if you want to move forward you you have to encourage people to think again it's got to be introspective and it's got to be um arguably bipartisan too yeah (laughs) well and and like i mean if you give people the choice too, there's a, there's a certain level of empowerment there when, when the government, instead of coming to you and saying thou shalt do this, or you risk X, Y, and Z of them coming to you and say, Hey, you should do this uh, because of these reasons. And then you being like, Oh, I, you don't, you're not telling me exactly what I have to do. Like you're giving me a choice. You, you trust me to make the right decision. Yeah. It's like most of the time people will make the right decision, like by and large. Yes, there's going to be, you know, less people probably than if you mandate it. But the overall sentiment of the government saying we trust you instead of because because, you know, you flip that on its head. The other way that they're saying it when they're saying a mandate, they're saying we don't trust you. Yeah. <laughs> and that's and that it- wears on you. That's, that's so, that's so weird to me that, you know, you could elect someone to public office. I mean, not everyone votes for the same person. If they did, that would be a terrible thing. (laughs) Yeah. Um, That's totally anti-American to even think about that, um, that thing happening. But, um, you know, some people, some people actually do need to be told what to do. I, I, I guess I would kind of put myself in that camp a little bit because I just spent 12 years working for the government. And so they're like, Hey, it's time for you to move to go and you know, do this next job. And you're like, okay, I guess that means I have to yeah. pack up all my stuff and move and you know, X, Y, and Z. It, it's just, it's an, it's an annoying, tedious process, but you know what the steps are. So mm-hmm. it, it's, there's some creative re, uh, creativity in there, but some people need that structure uh, just to be able to function when it comes to big things like this. And I get that it takes, it takes a lot of the stress out of it. But I think more and more now you're seeing people on both sides of the aisle. That, and I've, I've seen uh, inklings of this on various places, but people are coming out of the woodwork now and they're like, okay, th- we've been doing things this way. Well, this is what we've been told. Why don't we, why don't we do something co- completely different? And to that end, uh, one guy I just, I saw his name's John Carlson. He's a rather prominent conservative in the uh, Seattle area. It doesn't matter that he's conservative, but he has an idea that I think has merit. And he basically says, 
instead of doing phase two, just end all the lockdowns, period. <laughs> and I would, I would argue, I would argue that based on what the CDC said today, his, his point has merit. It, it, it may be time to just say, okay, if you don't want a vaccine, don't. You are taking your own risk. Yep. Everyone else who, who doesn't want to risk getting COVID and has a vaccine, they, they have mitigated risk in their own way. So, you know, I, I feel like those, those two things jive in that they're, they're forward thinking, forward looking, and they're, they're looking to potentially explore new territory um, in getting around the pandemic a little bit. Um, but they're, again, they're giving people choice. I feel, I feel like that is, um, that's huge. You, you can go to a restaurant or don't, it's not, mm -hmm. okay, I want to go to a restaurant, but I have to wait an hour because it's a 25% capacity. So instead of, um, to use the expression, stop lighting everything like the condition today is green, yellow, red, whatever the color <laughs> is, um, instead of stop lighting everything and making these phase, you know, phase one, phase two phase three shoot i think we even have like phase 2a and 2b and like what's the point of 2a and 2b like and it and it's broken it down by like county <laughs> so it's like yeah, this county's in one the other county's in another yeah so instead of stoplighting it just get rid of it all completely and and you know see where that goes i feel like there's there's merit to that well and so like um, the the risk there which is is one that i've never seen you know thankfully but heard a lot about is, you know, you have to like, if you just opened everything up, then your risk is uh, essentially hospital beds filling up and you're not able to help people, which I feel yeah. like, you know, that that's a real thing. But I mean, I remember when when COVID first hit over here, I mean, they had I forget what if, if it was the National Guard, who, who it was like setting up like temporary hospitals. And they were set up for like weeks and they were never used. They were never I had used. a neighbor. I had a neighbor that was in on that. The governor asked um, certain military agencies. I don't know the specifics on that part of it, but he asked um, the army in this case to go set up a bunch of um, littoral hospitals, hospital spots, uh, beds in Lumen Field. And so they went in there and set up, you know, this huge ward for COVID patients and not one of the beds was used. I will, I will give credit though. I will attribute the fact we didn't have to use that to superior medical care being available in Washington state. And, um, you know, the governor actually taking pretty quick action on, yep. um, on the, the initial parts of it after that, that we'll just leave that alone. Um, well, and that was in the but, time when things were unknown a lot more too. And that's what I was just going to say. It was all when things are very unknown and you know, that, that outbreak in the, the nursing home was just, I mean, Oh, that was brutal. I, I, I was, I was in New York city, uh, just starting my new job, which I knew I was about to get probably cut or furloughed from because of the pandemic, but I'm watching the TV and I'm sitting in a hotel in New York and they're talking about the, the nursing home outbreak in Washington state. And I'm like, okay, this is a big deal. And that's kind of when it really hit me, um, how things were and what, you know, what was ahead and what was ahead was just complete uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And looking back on it, I mean, that's exactly what I would think about it now if I went and saw it again. So um, you, you gotta, you gotta react 
um, based on what you know. And if you don't know anything that, like I said, that instills a little bit of fear and then it stokes the what if scenarios. And there's people that, that are paid a lot of money to do the what if the mm-hmm. war games. Which, you um, know, I feel like if, I don't know, here I am saying that, you know, things are really nuanced, but here I'm about to say this, but basically like if you get to a point where like, basically, like you say, just end everything end the stoplights and just open everything back up, people yeah. make the own cho- their own choices. But then if, you know, the hospital beds, you know, hit, you know, I don't know what percent, 70, 80% capacity, you, you throw up the, Hey, please be careful. And then it hits 90%. It's like, okay, we're in, we're in lockdown until we get these hospital beds more in line or, or that's when you activate that, that military response of temporary hospitals to get people taken care of. I mean, there's a couple of routes you could go there, but yeah, this whole, like, you know, you can, you can sit at the bar, but you can't sit in a booth but now you can sit at the table, but you can sit at a bar if it's outside next to a fire and the sun is shining on your face. You know, it's like <laughs> all these different little like nuance, like incredibly detailed different ways of doing it. You know, like honestly, I have never really paid attention to anything except the restaurants being open or not. <laughs> That's when we've been going through all these phases. Yeah. That's the Can only I go to thing. Red Robin or not? I, exactly. I need to go to Red Robin right now. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I got the I need to get the yum. So um yeah, it's 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 been weird because we go through all these phases and yet I like I didn't feel it. And and I know that there's some some people who did, you know, specifically like restaurant owners, because they're either open or they're yeah. closed, and then they're having to figure out new ways to do business, which you know, thank goodness we have things like DoorDash and and that because I think that that literally saved I don't know how many businesses, but it has to be a, a very large percentage that would have just gone under if they didn't have some kind of structure already set up where yeah. your company instantly became a company that delivers. And it, that that is an interesting phenomenon. And I think we're we're going to look back on this pandemic, and and we may learn something from that. Yet, if you look throughout history, at every major conflict the United States has been a part of, what is one lesson learned we have? Superior logistical capability. World War II, a whole bunch of crap went across from England to Normandy, won the war. Um, how do we stay in Vietnam so long? resupply you had a whole you had a whole you know air bridge going across to, to yeah. resupply stuff um and there's there's smaller scale conflicts that, that reflect that as well i will add a somewhat comical uh example of that and that you're talking about doordash and uber eats and that kind of stuff i want to know how many honda civics were responsible for the feeding of families during the pandemic because you know that some kid was you know he had his 2001 honda civic yet in college he was like i'm gonna go put that puppy to work right now and he he like fed the neighborhood you know seven times over because of that little honda civic so um, that, that's an I, interesting I, I, thought I think, yeah yeah it is i i was thinking about that when you know i think i got uber eats or something like that and some kid pulls up in his, his little hatchback car i was like man I know there's got to be at least a dozen more just like him running around right now. And they're, mm-hmm. they're probably killing it. I, I'm sure they made a ton of money doing it and good for them. That's, that's, yep. 
that is that is the work ethic that I feel like um, used to be maybe not as much anymore. But hey, I got I have an asset that I can use put to work, I'm gonna go make some money. And they probably did really well. Yeah. And all you need is like, I mean, you need a car, which, you know, that's not a small thing, but it's also not that yeah, uncommon. Yeah. And you need a phone with an app that says, I need you to go to uh, Katana Sushi and pick up a poke bowl for Luke because Luke's hungry. And then Luke pays yes. you a nice tip <laughs> and it's totally delicious. And you, you know, you have a good, we both have a good day, you know? Um, so that's good deal for everybody. Yeah. I mean, like, and the fact that we have the internet right now, I mean, I know both of us were kind of slamming on the internet earlier, which I do think that humans as a whole don't know how to handle the internet in general, like as a whole, but that was one, that yeah. was one piece that made this whole situation way better. I mean, trying to think about the world without the internet is a bizarre task anymore. <laughs> but like trying to think about what would like what this kind of a virus would have done if it had hit in say, you know, 1995 or something like that, you know. I think technically the internet's around, I get it, but it's not as as uh, prolific as it is now. It probably yeah, would have been a much different story. Yeah, the COVID thing would have been much different. Now, I don't know if that's better or worse. You know, like there, there, there's a part of me that's really cynical that thinks that maybe, it would have been, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't. I, I think it's probably better that we had the internet. But there's a piece of me that's like, well, would it? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're right. That's an interesting thing to think about. The world would be much different in general, but with response to the, you know, specific response to this pandemic. Yeah. I, I don't even know what that well, would and, look like. And th- and there's a couple different ways that I'm, I'm thinking about that too. Cause I mean, like, I guess I'm thinking about it in like the level of paranoia that everybody would have. I don't know. Would you yeah. be more or less scared of, you know, cause you'd, you'd be sitting in front of your TV, listening to Tom Brokaw talk about it, you know? Um, yeah. And yeah. everybody get the same message and, then you'd go to sleep as opposed to everyone, you know, grabbing their phone and being like, okay, well, Fauci just said this. So let's go see what, you know, Aussie man has to say about that. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, oh man, he's got to do review. Yeah. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> he's got like, he's, he's been doing that for so long that like, like as soon as I open YouTube, it's always one of the first things that pops up is, is Aussie man reviews. And I usually watch it. So, <laughs> Yep. Yeah. He's got you. Gotta love him. Hilarious. <laughs> oh man. But yeah, I don't know. This it's it's gonna be weird to I mean, everybody wants to get back to normal, but it's like this this whole thing has been so weird and it went on for so long that getting back to a normal, I feel like is is gonna be really hard because I mean just the just the impact it had to like small businesses and how bolstered large businesses became. I mean, Amazon had to have just destroyed. I, I wasn't watching this, but I'd be shocked if they weren't just destroying it right now. If I could have taken my life savings and put it on Amazon one day before we found out about the outbreak, <laughs> I, I could probably retire. Yeah. Well, what you need to do yeah. is put it on Dogecoin, man. 
<laughs> I was just gonna say, where's the Dogecoin reference? The the pandemic has literally like made us go crazy, where we're putting money on a on a a, a fictitious currency that's based on what is it an Akita? I don't, I don't even know, know what that like is. But, I th- yeah, I think of it as a, a big fluffy corgi, but I'm sure that you know any corgi <laughs> owner would slap me. So. Um, <laughs> well, tomorrow I'm going to write some code, and we're going to create Corgi Coin. How about that? There we go, Corgi Coin. I'll uh, I'll I'll put a few dollars down. <laughs> but apparently nice. that but that's not how that works, right? Because it's cryptocurrency. I have to not put dollars down. You have to. Yeah, yeah. What you can't put dollars on it until it goes what public on the stock market or something like that. Is, isn't that how that? Yeah, works? yeah. There, there. I don't know how it happens before it hits some kind of exchange. But yeah, you're right. It. It has to be on an exchange for there to be, um, for for there to be you know coin of whatever variety purchased. So, um, an interesting idea. That is also another interesting idea that I don't know near enough about that I would kind of like to explore. Yeah. Because if you haven't noticed, Bitcoin has made a lot of people very very rich. Oh my so goodness! It's just not me or you. Yeah. Apparently, it's like hindsight <laughs> here is is incredible. Yeah. It's like it's a joke. Well, Bitcoin, I wouldn't say is as much of a joke coin as like Dogecoin was, but but yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah. I'm I'm really hopeful with this this mask thing. I mean, like, I think we both agree it could have been rolled out much better. But at the end of the day, if I can go to work and not have to wear my mask, I'm excited about that because like sitting at my desk, the mask on all day, and then like. You know, you, after lunch, I forget to put my mask back on for like five minutes. And that one person walks by and like gives you that like sideways look. And it's like, it's like what? It's like, oh, right. And you put, you know, it's like, uh, I can't wait. For there, that there's that, done. like, you know, you, you get the, you get the dirty looks, but I also feel like it's made people more self-aware where they, you know, they, they down three cups of coffee and then they put their mask back on and they get to experience their own coffee breath and they're like oh, oh my yeah. gosh i don't know how many Where times i don't know how many times <laughs> i have walked into work and like I'm, I'm walking in and like you know there's some nice cool morning air and i walk through the gate and it's just you know throw the mask up and it's just like oh like oh my goodness i should have drank some i should have at least taken a few few drinks of water to clear all that crud out or something because like I, I kept walking like Cause I, I didn't go back to work for quite a while, but like the first couple times I did, there's like, the, the, there's a pathway over a road. So it's this little tunnel, little bridge to go to work. And every time I walk through there, it was, I was like, there is something, there is something bad here. There's something stink, like something is horrible here. <laughs> and then one morning I, I, I had like some coffee or some water or something it didn't stink. I was like, oh my gosh, I've been smelling my own breath this whole time. <laughs> it's amazing how much gum I accumulated in my car because of that problem after I became self-aware. <laughs> so, as it were. so what I was thinking about I was like, doing. I need some gum apparently. Yeah, what I was thinking about doing was, because uh, we occasionally do a, a, a campfire or a, it's not a campfire because you're not camping. What do you call it? A fire, do, do a fire pit. I don't know. Have a fire in the backyard. Whatever. Yeah. I've thought about like getting like some clothesline and stringing out some masks and letting the masks soak up that smoke. Because I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I love the smell of campfire smoke. 
and just Absolutely. putting and it Love would it. it would stick it would really stick to those masks it's like i, I could be smelling wood smoke all day <laughs> and it would get the fleas and ticks off your mask too right yeah exactly because i have so many of those <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh my goodness but, but yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to it like i said I, I don't think it's the best rollout but but i'm looking forward to it and, it, and i mean how does that how does that work for like did you end up getting furloughed and or, or, no. are, are you so are, are, are you flying right now like off and on no so um I started working um, for the airline January of last year, right before the pandemic started. Yeah, and it was like, great and then, good timing. <laughs> yeah, which I, I mean, honestly, it actually is good timing because they're probably about to start hiring a bunch of people again. But I was lucky enough to get on board. And then I started my training and then the pandemic hit kind of when I was just about to, you know, they kicked me loose from the training pipeline. And I go start flying. Um it took a long time for events to precipitate, but around July, August timeframe, all of the major airlines were like, Hey, we're probably going to have to furlough like, you know, 2000 people. And they're like, Oh yeah, that's really bad. So, um, I can't remember when the first, um, payroll support program passed out of Congress, but that basically saved us from getting furloughed until November. Uh, so we survived the summer. They kept us on payroll. We weren't flying. We weren't working. Pretty much nobody was working. Like there was, there was almost no demand uh, for airline passenger seats anywhere. Normally, yeah. the airlines. I saw that they they would show us those charts yeah. at, at Boeing, and it's like, this looks bad. This is really bad. <laughs> so yeah. I, yeah, I saw those same charts. Yeah. So I mean. It, you saw what happened to me. You do normally like 2 million passengers a day or so at like 2019 travel levels. And then we, we were down to like 80,000 people in a day. I, I remember going through Detroit airport and it was a ghost town. And I had been through Detroit when it was you know normal and just knowing what the two look like, it was, it was, it was a very stark, uh, very humbling experience to know that the world had literally ground to a halt because of this. Um, but anyway, so November comes around and PSP2 gets passed. And then that basically bridges us to now where we're, we're through um, the part of the pandemic where we didn't have vaccines, but now we do. People are getting vaccinated. The numbers are dropping, um, you know, at least in the United States where we have mass vaccines available, there's not hospitalizations, there's not you know, a uh, 3000 cases a day per a tri-county area in, in, you know, X metropolitan city. Um, so people are traveling again, there's like a million and a half average for a while now, which is a big deal, um, from what we, what we were and what we've come to now. So, um, I never, long story short, I, I never got furloughed and I'm very fortunate for that. There's a lot of people that went to bat in Congress with the union that represents me, and the rest of the rest of the people that I work with, um, and you know, my family was able to basically enjoy the same quality of life. Maybe not quite as good, but you know, we had we had everything we needed and more because of them. And I, I would be remiss if I didn't say that I'm grateful for that because that that meant a lot to to a lot of people, like tens of thousands of airline workers. Um, you know, the, the maintainers, the, the cargo guys loading the bags in the bottom that weren't loading bags at all. The flight attendants, the pilots up front, 
um, the tech ops people, they all got some kind of help. Um, and that, that kept them afloat to get to now where things are actually looking up. Um, and psychologically, not just in the physical sense, like I have a house and a roof over my head kind of thing and food on the table. Um, I have a job I can go back to that, that is, is good, uh, that is for a good company. And that means a lot. So very fortunate in that regard. Yeah. And I mean, like with things starting to open up, I mean, people are gonna, I keep waiting for like that, that moment where kind of the floodgates open up and like your industry in particular, if you're not staffed for that, it would be, (laughs) it would be mad. I mean, I'm sure it's already going to be crazy when, when things really, really get back to normal. Well, we already talked about this, but get back to about as close to normal as you're going to get. And everyone's just going to have this really intense cabin fever and your industry is really going to, going to see that. I absolutely, I I laughed there because it's already happening. Oh Um, yeah. Yes. Oh yes. They, so uh, without getting into too many, that's good for me too. (laughs) Yeah, it is. And the, the, the max is coming back. The, the FAA approved the electrical fix. So that's good for Southwest. It's good for, um, international carriers like, or, you know, European carriers, Reiner in, in particular, has a whole bunch of seven three maxes that are that are on the the lemon lot at <laughs> Moses Lake over there, as we call it. <laughs> um, so that that's good. Um, but the staffing thing is an entirely different animal because um, at airlines like mine that have multiple fleets, Airbus and Boeing, you have to spread out, you know, everyone to the right markets and to the right places. Oh, and by the way, you have to have them trained and current and qualified. And because of how the pandemic went um, went down, a bunch of guys retired early, about 1,800, which is a lot. I mean, that was, shoot, almost 20% of the seniority list. So you have that amount of departures, and now demand is coming back faster than they had forecasted. And you got a staffing problem. You got a big staffing problem yeah. to, the, to the point where you had – cancellations on thanksgiving and christmas and again on easter so in, in a basically four months time frame you still hadn't got your staffing caught up which it takes a long time to get staffing caught up in an airline i'm, I'm learning a lot about that i'm still i'm at like 95 percent, so i'm like you know basically scraping the bottom of the barrel for where i'm at i'm the junior guy on the totem pole but i'm still learning a lot about how all that works it takes a long time to change um, you know, qualifications and training, and it just takes a lot of time and resources. So, um, I think, I think they have it fixed by and large. This summer could be interesting. Next summer will be better for sure. Um, but you hit, you hit the nail on the head. Staffing is, is the, the big issue right now. People want to travel. Hawaii is about to go bananas. I'm pretty sure this summer, um, people are going to places like Sedona, just to get out of Dodge. I mean, shoot, you could probably go to Ames, Iowa and have a good time right now. I don't know. <laughs> um, it, it just, people want, people want to get out and see and do things. And uh, you're definitely seeing that in the passenger counts. A million and so, a half a day is a lot. So like if you were understaffed, I'm assuming that like, even for baggage handlers or some of the, you know, being a pilot that takes a long time to get there 
from a training yeah. perspective. Being a baggage handler, I'm sure that there's some training, but it's a lot less. But the fact I'm, I'm assuming that there's some kind of security background checks that have to be done that are more significant yeah. than you normally would. And if you're behind on your, your staffing, that's that's a big hurdle to get over that in order to get people in to be able to fill the that's gaps. That's huge. No, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It's it's a one team with, you know, 18 different specialties. You got dispatchers that are in charge of all the, all the um, you know, out of the gate, into the gate, everything that happens in between that space, like they're in charge of that information, getting the flight um, safely executed every time an airplane leaves the, the ground. Um, the, the flight attendants, the baggage handlers, um, the gate agents, the customer service agents that answer the phones. Yeah, you're right. Um, some of them may have gone to other jobs, like, you know, anything logistics related, truck drivers, um, food delivery, whatever, you know, they may have gone and done something else. And so now depending on how they're regulated, like if you're working on the ramp, you have to be credentialed. You have to have access to a secure area. And that's, that's a big deal. So what if, you know, what if their ID expired or, um, you know, what if they do need recurrent training or something like that? I don't know the specifics on those things. What I do know is that if it's regulated, it takes time to get those things back up and running again. When you just shut something off like that, that's, that's a huge deal. That's money and time for the company. And it's also money and time for the employee. And so they go and find different jobs and then you're like, Hey, I need you to come back tomorrow. Well, sorry, man. You know, I'm working a job in Morocco as a contractor now, or, you know, it's, it's difficult. Um, and the other part of it is I think to some degree, people don't want to go back to work yet because they kind of got used to the way things were. They were getting stimulus payments. Um, and that's not a commentary. That's, that is not a commentary on the, you know, the welfare state so much. Um, there is some of that, but it's just, people got comfortable again. Um, and now, you, you know, going back to something that was comfortable at one time is not anymore. So you have to change again changing the psychology that's that's kind of a theme with this pandemic you got to get people to go back to do those things again and that's that's definitely hard yeah and it's it's difficult because for a large chunk of time there you were wanting to get get food on the table make sure people weren't getting foreclosed on because yeah. they because they lost their job because the restaurant closed because the government said so so the government you know tries to help with that now we're wanting people to go back to work and so it's it's this delicate balance of you know you you need to kind of wean people off of that and the 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 hard part is is it has been so long that it's it's gotten to the point where it feels normal and yeah you know it's yeah. it's a lot i mean getting people to go back to work i you know at, people like doing something that's fulfilling. So the, the, there's a piece of that that just from a human psychology standpoint, people people like doing that. But, you know, the finances are a big piece of it and it's, it's, it's going to be tricky. I mean, I think that it's headed in the right direction. I don't know. Like, I remember when I was looking, and, and I only very briefly looked into it because... I didn't know what was going to happen at Boeing. Cause like I said, we saw the same numbers you did of like the yeah. bottom just fell out on the airline industry. And 
you know, Boeing basically follows the airline industry. And so if the bottom falls out there, I mean, I'm very fortunate that um, I'm still employed. Um, I was doing, you know, it's, I'm very thankful. I'll just leave it at that. And I thought about, I thought about you a lot too, about this, throughout (laughs) this whole thing. So yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you're still there too. Yeah. Yeah. But it's when you, when you look at the unemployment, you're like, oh man, I have to do this. But then you, you see that actually the amount of unemployment you're going to get, if you get let go, it's like, that's, that's actually, you know, you, you can live off of that, especially with all these bonus payments. Like, um, I don't know. I, I, I would never want to be laid off, but it, but I don't know. It, it, it was a weird situation. Um, I think it still is, but, but similar to like the bringing people in who know what they're doing, uh, specifically like at Boeing, when you have engineers who know this, this one piece of the airplane really well, you let them go. And now all of a sudden we're wanting to start bringing, you know, we are starting to bring people back. There are a lot more job wrecks at Boeing right now, but it's, it's sometimes it's hard to get those people to want to come back because now they found a different machine shop that they're working in. They really like that. And now you, you know, we just let that much experience walk out the door and you have to train the new person. And, and it's, it's not an impossible task, but it, it slows, it slows the progress down of getting, getting Boeing back to where it wants to be. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And I feel like that's, that's scalable all the way down to that, that restaurant now. I mean, you have, you have one guy that was kind of like a, you know, a medium or high end restaurant that had a really, really good chef. And all of a sudden that chef's like, peace out, man, I got to go do something else. Yeah. Cause you're, you know, I'm not making any money here anymore. Um, and you know, the, at the, um, the corporate level, probably more so now you gotta, you gotta bring that talent back. And that involves um, HR on the front end to onboard them. Then you have, you know, training, technical aspects, tech ops. Um, and then you re-involve HR again for the benefits stuff. It's, you know, all of these different moving pieces of which there's, you know, sub sub parts to all of those. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of time and a lot of resources. And it just generates this inertia that is in some cases insurmountable. And so the organization just changes it like adapt or die, you know, and that's what they do. They, they just adapt. Um, and you know, at, at the detriment of that employee that left that probably would be better suited being back there, but is no longer able to, or doesn't want to, because you know, that's just the way the world drove them. So, um, you, you will see, some manifestations of businesses changing. I'm sure Boeing is definitely one of them. Um, changing maybe for the better, but also changing just because they had to. And so there's going to be growing pains sure. for a long time that, you know, the, the old guys are like, well, we used to do it this way. And then, you know, the new guys are like, well, what, that's dumb. Why would we do that? And you, you have this back and forth and, you know, there's, um, there, there's always change, change is something that people don't like. They don't like change that they, they want things to be predictable. And I'm not talking in general. Well, I I am talking in general. I'm not talking. I am hardcore that way. I love routine. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Yes. I am the same way. If I woke up at seven o'clock, I got my coffee and I went to work every day and I did that five days a week. Fantastic. Um, I've, I've kind of done that for a while now, but, um, 
it's good. I mean, your body gets used to it. Like your, your chemistry is used to it. You know, your circadian rhythm is, is dialed in. Um, you know, when your kids are actually going to school, that's a whole other topic, (laughs) but add that in. And then like you, you have, you have fulfillment through this, this, uh, time controlled structure. And we have not had that for a very, very long time. So, you know, we talk about going back to normal, that part of normal for a lot of people is something that they, they'd be like, Oh yeah, this is good. They may not, they may not say that or realize that at that level, but you know, on the, on the subliminal, like I got to get to work and do this and this and this and this, like they're going to enjoy that. Yeah. I know I will whenever that day comes. Yeah. And like, man, like t- talking about like how your body gets used to it. My man, like, so right when it kind of hit and I went back to, or was at home most of the time, uh, my back just like, uh, it was dumb. Like it was, it was right when we went on that camping trip, that's kind of right when it started. Um, but oh, yeah. I still like, I've gone, I went on a couple runs in like November and December and paid for it bad. Like I was, I was barely walking most of December. It was disgusting. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think a lot of that was tied to the fact that I don't know. I think some of it was tied to the fact that I was being dumb because use, I used to hurt my back and like take a week off. But this last that September, I, I hurt my back and I was like, man, eh, I'll be fine. It's just my back. I'll just keep running. I'm not doing any heavy lifting. Very bad choice. Yeah. Um, and I'm finally kind of getting <laughs> back to it. But I mean, that was one thing that I, that I really do like about being back on site and that I missed being at home. I mean, I, I, I love being, you know, getting that hour of commute back, um, and being able to yeah. sleep in an extra hour that that's amazing. But the way, you know, when you have meeting to meeting to meeting and you don't, you don't even just stand up. Like it, if you're going meeting to meeting to meeting on site, you're at least standing up and going up a flight of stairs, walking down a hall. Um, and that's something fitness. you miss. Yeah, yes. Man. It's, it's, it's amazing how if you're not just, you know, like the restrooms at Boeing, they're, you know, three or four flights down. So you got to do all those many stairs anytime you need to take a piss. And it's like, here at home it's like it's 12 steps away <laughs> it's like it's you can, convenient. you can crawl to the bathroom if you yeah. wanted to yeah yeah <laughs> so that's no i, I hear you i was gonna you know, i was gonna say to that end um i, I experienced cool. kind of the same thing like i have back issues and they're they're probably getting worse but today and yesterday i was out you know painting the fence and painting the fence is actually a fairly physical thing as it turns out because yep. you're, you know, up on the ladder. If it's a, you know, it's a six foot, I think it's as well, it's actually probably an eight foot fence, but you're up and down and stuff. And I, I got home yesterday. I was like, Holy smokes, my legs are, are gone. Like I was actually like squatting a fair amount and, and getting around. Well, yeah, you got go all, the way, all the way down to the ground and then all the way up to the top and you're going back and forth the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. And then, well, then I figured it out. Like, what if I just stayed down on the ground and did the bottom part first and then like went to the top process engineering. We there got better go. as we went. We see, lessons learned. Yep. But see, then your quality goes down a little because then you'll see that line in the fence. You, you have to, fe- I hope you feathered it in. Cause otherwise you're going to see this weird, like dry, <laughs> these like dry lines. I used to, paint. I did think about, I used to paint. I so did I- think about that. <laughs> yeah. And it, at the end of the day, I was like, it's a cedar fence and I hate this fence anyway. So just 
paint it and be done. <laughs> that's kind of how I, that's kind of how I thought about it. Oh man. I had to do some, I had to Got do it. some painting recently. We had a, a pipe, one of our shower or the master bath shower, uh, drain had a bad leak in it. So we had this big old thing in our ceiling and had to get the, the plumbing done, cut this big, like two by two foot, uh, section of ceiling out right in the living room and it was like oh man but uh <laughs> it was it, it was fun oh, it, it it took me back I'd, I'd never done any um drywall work or um not spackling what do you call it when you, you smooth out smooth it all out what's that called mudding perfectating mudding and perfectating yeah yeah so i'd never done that so that that was an interesting experience it went relatively well I don't think you can see it, but I'm a little biased. <laughs> but it was you know, fun, it's one it was of those fun things, going back to the like, painting. Yeah, it, you know, I kind of like that stuff. My dad is a huge home improvement guy, and I learned a little bit from him, just kind of watching him and doing some of it with him. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, you do something like that, and you're like, I know there's a ridge there. You just look up at the ceiling every time you see it, and you're like, I know there's a ridge there. And, but you're the only one who will ever notice it. Yeah. And it's all, it's like a psychological thing. It's not even a physical defect in the ceiling. It's just that you know that it's there and you just, you think about it. So, you know, you see what you're thinking and everyone else will be like, yeah, it looks great. <laughs> yeah, see, and so I can't see the ridge lines because I, I don't really know what to look for, but I can totally see exactly where the paint line, like I tried to feather yeah. <laughs> it out nice, but it's like, I still see it. It's like right there. <laughs> Joanna, thankfully, she can't see it, and so it's like, okay, well, as long as as long as wifey's happy, you know, that's that's good. Yep. yep. <laughs> if they can't see it, then all is well. Move on to the next thing. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna, man. We we got. I, I I told you this a bit ago back, but man, we we got like some major like house stuff coming up, and I'm I'm not excited about because it it's all, it's all well outside of, outside of my like. Yeah, I'll just like go to Home Depot, buy some new tools, spend a little money, and yeah. have a fun project. You said it was like your your foundation that's got yeah. some. Yeah, we're gonna have to refinance our house. Um, we've got a couple cracks in the foundation, and the pillars in the middle of the house are sinking. So it's, I mean, it's dumb. It's dumb. I I'm not yeah. looking forward to that. And so, so we're going to, we're going to, we're going to get money to do that. And we're going to do our, our roof at the same time, just because, I mean, once, once we take care of that, those are like the main big things that were like big ticket items for our house. And so once we take care of that, yeah. we have some windows that we need to replace, but I mean, that's, that's phone a friend and go get, you know, I've never yeah. done it, but it's not something insurmountable not by any means. So, um, no, windows, windows are definitely something you can do. Foundation stuff is, I mean, you need like engineering knowledge, like material engineering knowledge uh, that is, you know, you got to know the, the layers of the ground and you got to know, you know, you got to put more material here to mitigate this crack and like lift up the foundation on the other side. Yeah, that's that that's a, a lot of time and a lot of money, uh, unfortunately. But the silver lining here is that interest rates are rock bottom yep. right now. Yeah, so the, the, the only piece that... Yeah, the, the piece that I'm frustrated about, so, so we had a 30-year, and we're about five years in. And it's like, the first five years, all you're paying is interest. 
and we're looking at you know where our finances are at and what you know and it's like i think we need to do another 30 year and it's like oh we just gave you know this bank five years of interest and we're just going to hit the reset button <laughs> oh my yeah gosh. it's so frustrating it's so frustrating but I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's it, either that or your house collapses into the gates of hell. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> the chasm will half open and your house just falls into it. Yeah. Yes. yes. So it's, it's oh. interesting, but like it's, it's the, and the, and the thing that we really noticed, it was the, the significant amount of, or at least that I noticed the only other person who's noticed the, the increase in creaking throughout the house, which is what kind of tipped me off that we had a lot more than usual. The only other person who's noticed is Natalie, our little two-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> what was she's, that noise? She's in her room. Like, like right before, right before this, I went in there and she'd been talking, talking, talking. I was like, baby girl, it's, it's time to sleep. You need to, you need to pipe down and head on pillow, close your eyes get some sleep and she's like pointing to the sink it noisy there and it noisy over here and it making noise and i'm like there's a part of me that's like i am so proud of you <laughs> because so, that amount of knowledge like and paying attention from her is like like that's the kind of it's it was fun but then there's also the part of me that's like you need to be quiet and go to bed <laughs> valid she will probably also be the next like maestro of the you know philadelphia orchestra or something like that yeah. with, oh i can i can hear it over here i can hear it over here yep. yeah yeah she uh <laughs> she funny. keeps us on her toes she's she's a lot of she's a lot of fun but but after after we get those like big things done like last summer um we had some leaky windows on the east side of our house and i'd been battling it battling it battling it for a long time and finally i was you know what i'm just I'm done. So I just went and got a bunch of caulking, caulked up every crack I could find. <laughs> the back of the house looked so bad. And I was like, you know what? I'm just painting the back side of the house. I'm painting one side of the house. <laughs> so <laughs> my plan my plan now is to, over the next like four summers, just pick another side of the house, just paint that side of the house, get everything, you know, sealed up and painted and just do it that way. And then, you know, every, I don't know three or four years you know pick a new side of the house house to do in the summer and just do one side of the house and you know i can't tell the difference between the the back side yeah. of our house and the north side of our house right now because you know it's the same color um so yeah. you could knock two birds out with one stone here if you just went and got a whole bunch of that flex steel stuff you know oh what i'm gosh. talking about i i almost got that <laughs> we had these weird trellis things above our above one of our windows and eventually I just ripped it all off and it was good that I did because that wood was was rotten the paint had was was starting to peel so basically the water's going right into the rotten wood right into the wall oh, yeah. right under the window and down into the house and it was like I kept just trying to like caulk the top of it and I mean I was I was using a lot of caulk but <laughs> so there was a part of me that's like, if I just get the flex seal and just spray it on, then I'll be fine. And it was like, I don't know. So I, I went and ripped that all off and, and repainted everything. And, you know, it's, it's a two story house. So, you know, there, there was a couple days where I was a good, you know, 
30 feet up and the boys are like well what are you doing up there and it's like yeah dad's being dad today it's like <laughs> it felt i'm great. about to go and what i'm about to do when i fall off this roof <laughs> yeah oh my goodness i mean and, and fortunately you know for me i did do a lot of painting in high school so moving big ladders around was something i was at least familiar with so i didn't you know put the end of the ladder right through the master bedroom window or something <laughs> yeah <laughs> that would end poorly that would end really poorly yeah so i mean you know it is yeah so <laughs> what what were you doing to your fence were you staining or painting uh so it's a, a house that we're renting out but um oh that's right that's lovely that's why i don't recognize this particular door frame in the background because i was thinking like yeah Did you... this is but i mean th like where you're at is amazing i mean those pictures that that kate takes of rainier all the time like yeah that's so cool yeah we're very fortunate um kate has a friend that has this property that's right down on puget sound kind of close to olympia and we wake up in the morning and if it's not raining and foggy or cloudy which is half the year but if it's not yeah. we can see mount rainier and it's absolutely fantastic it's beautiful here um but th that we live in this house now we were renting out the other one where i was painting the fence mm. um and our lovely hoa said hey you all need to paint your fence this dark brown color and we right now we have most of the people have not painted it so you can see like the natural color of the cedar cedar plank fence we all have mm -hmm. i like it I, like when yeah. cedar gets older it kind of it grays out a little bit it ages well it has some character they're like no we want you to paint it brown and you have to do it by july 1st so i said okay we got a decent week of weather here let's just get it done yeah and that that wood is so dry and it's, you know, it's, it's rough cut. It's all got all kinds of texture on it. It just soaks up that stain. Like it's, you know, water in the Sahara. So I, I, it took me last, most of yesterday afternoon and last night and then more today to get all of our fence, our fence, fence, all of our <laughs> fence stained. And then our neighbor, uh, I helped them out and did theirs too, but man, that was tedious. So that's, that I will, I will say lesson learned, um, home improvement lesson number 1,625, never, ever have a cedar plank fence. <laughs> <laughs> did you uh, power wash it before you, you stained it? I did. And I'll tell you, I did one section where I didn't power wash it. It didn't make any difference at all. Oh. The, the, stain is, <laughs> the stain is so dark. It, I mean, and it's like, it, it's somewhere in between a stain, a stain and a paint. Mm. It, it, you just paint it on there and it just totally changes the color and it covers up any Im imperfection, dirt, dust, mold, otherwise that's on there. So power washing, it was probably kind of a waste of water, but. Oh, see, um, I love power washing. Like every, uh, <laughs> every spring, like I, I enjoy going out and doing our driveway and sidewalks and like to the point oh, where. Yeah. To the point where I, I go to the, our neighbors and if they don't do it, I'm like, hey, if you want me to power wash like everything for you, like I'm totally willing because <laughs> I don't know. There's, no, just, that... there's just some like OCD in me that's just like like because I have the, the the spinning circle attachment to to increase the, yep. the size and uh, make it a little more uh, even when you're doing that. And man, I don't know. I, pr I probably enjoy it more than I should, but... <laughs> 
You know, I, I, I know what you're talking about. If you're doing like a concrete prepared surface, like you just watch all that green muck just disappear. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you, you have like the Billy Mays commercial, like before, after. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's, it's very satisfying. Uh, I did that to our patio too. And um, yeah, I, I get it. I, you'd like just do it like one square at a time and it's very symmetric and just a way yep. for your brain to check out for a while. It's like doing Sudoku. <laughs> yeah the uh the, the the piece there's a piece of me that almost wants to leave it like only do it every other year so that the effect like <laughs> so the, so that when that 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 effect hits and you know you get the chemicals in the brain so it's, so it's even better but i can't i'm really getting it this year yeah yeah <laughs> well because i remember the first like the first year i did it because we lived here about three years and had never done it and uh, the first year that that I that, that I went out there and cleaned it, it was it was pretty intense the the amount of difference, and so it's like I kind of miss that. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. After you, after you live here and having grown up in the you know the the mountains of uh, Montana, it's dry there and it's not dry here. So <laughs> yeah, you definitely have an appreciation for what it means to be in a maritime climate where you have to deal with moss and mold and all that junk that coagulates on your cement surfaces outside and the side of your house too yeah yeah the the north side of our house is, has, has stayed pretty clean and i'm i'm thankful for that because yeah i don't really want to <laughs> i don't know how you like get out there with a, a sponge and just slowly wipe the side of your house down that sounds like a a really mind-numbing experience <laughs> So. Yeah, it sounds like I'm going to pay someone to go and do it at that point. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, we're at time here. So thanks for joining. Um, it was really great talking to you. Yeah, super cool, man. It, it was a first for me. So I enjoyed it as well. Solving the world's problems and talking with a good friend. What could be better? Yeah. Do, do, you, uh, do you do anything uh, on social media other than the occasional Facebook? No. I, okay. I pretty much just do Facebook passively and that's kind of all I do Okay. at the moment. Same here. I, I have a few social media accounts set up for this, but um, yeah, mo mo most people I'm talking to don't have much of a social media presence, which, you know, makes the podcast, you, you talk about what kind of social media presence do you have? None. It's like, yeah, pretty much me too. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> But anyways, it's 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 good talking to you. Yeah, likewise, man. Take care.